to the return of Behind the Goals, uh, the Supporters Direct Scotland podcast, back after a very, very long absence. It, it's been... Uh, how it's, are you, Andrew? Yeah, it's been too long, some might say. Yeah, some wouldn't. <laughs> some would say not long enough. Yeah, yeah. In the meantime, we've had a, a really successful little series of Club Development Scotland uh, podcasts that you've been you've been doing. You've gone going about out and about. What's well, every every week or so? Well, not going out and about, but virtually going out and about, talking to people uh, about various aspects of Club Development Scotland activity. Uh, what have been the highlights for you in that in that little mini series? Um, well, they've all been really interesting, actually. I think some of the so I really really enjoyed the one uh, with. Oxford City who uh just fascinating club um small in size but big in impact and they've got a really uh inspiring story about just the kind of level of impact that they're having within their local community and I think kind of ties the circle quite nicely in terms of clubs in the community even professional clubs in the community and their sort of social value and how they create impact and why I suppose the reason for their existing. So Mick Mick tells a really lovely story, and um, uh, and today we just did one on community asset transfers, which um, was really really interesting because there just doesn't seem to be a huge amount of content out there for sports clubs. Yeah. You know, it's going to be. I think it's going to be such a big thing in the future, um, but there's real scarce. You know, it's kind of scarcity of of, of information on community asset transfers. Yeah. So. I would recommend listening to Stuart, who's doing his PhD in in in, um, in community asset transfers, um, which sounds very technical and jargony, but he makes it very simple. Yeah, and the time couldn't be couldn't be better for for looking at that with the amount of pressure that local authorities are coming under financially, and you know facilities are will always be needed, um, but it's maybe the the perfect time for clubs to be looking at. So how do we secure the future of the facilities that are important to us? And it's, that's, a, that's a win for the clubs, and it's also a win for the local authorities that are, are under an awful lot of pressure, as everybody else is uh, over, the, over the last year. Yes, so, very much so. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think there was some research recently that suggested, you know, uh, 900 facilities in Scotland might not reopen for some, some time after, even after lockdown. So, uh, and some definitely won't be opening at all. So, um, now is a good time for clubs to really be thinking about you know their role within their local areas and whether this is something that they could do to to support their their local communities going forward yeah and a couple of sports have, have been in touch with us recently asking us to, to deliver webinars on community asset transfer and some other kind of areas that we've been we've been busy with um so it's something that's obviously on the agenda of, of a few different sports uh, around the country so um those resources will be made available as well as we do with everything else that we produce. We try and make a generic version of each of our guidance as well as doing stuff that's, that's targeted towards specific sports, but uh, some specific, some, some generic guidance around community asset transfer is a big part of what we're going to be doing because that seems to be uh, uh, very much a hot topic uh, from, from the sports governing bodies. Yes. So that's, that's good that we followed that up with a bit, bit of research and talking to talking to Stuart there. I've not listened to that one yet. That's that's hot off the press as we speak just now. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to hearing that one. I, I noticed it downloaded, downloaded into my feed uh, a couple of hours ago. Um, so that will be this evening's uh, listening. Riveting, riveting stuff there. <laughs> well, into today's um, podcast, uh, we're talking to James Atkins, um, a carbon trader who's written a book about climate change for football. Uh, and is behind the idea of um, Planet Super League. Yes. Uh, 
Uh, and that's going to be something that hopefully is going to be coming to Scotland uh, with the COP26 climate change uh, conference in November this year. They're looking to do a Planet Super League around that. Uh, that may not mean very much to people just now, but we're hoping that's going to be something that everybody's hearing about later later in this year. It's a great little story. Um, so... Yes, yeah. Uh, J- James, is, as you'll hear in the podcast, has got a really quite interesting background in terms of carbon trading, which didn't mean a lot to me before we we did the podcast so um it was uh interesting to know that that was a that was a thing i'm sure some some listeners will know that was a thing but uh, i i was unaware so it was quite interesting to find out what that actually looks like in in reality um and he's been doing that since 1998 so this is sort of background really is in um reducing carbon emissions and his um interest in football as well makes for a really interesting book around what football you know how people become more interested in reducing their carbon footprint so i on the book he sort of said books on climate change are the literary equivalent of a nil nil draw (laughs) he adds in a lower division on a wet day unlikely to attract much of a crowd so few books on uh, climate change are enjoyable so despite it being such an important topic so basically he wanted to try and make the the subject of of climate change relatable and interesting and and really uses football as the as the vehicle to discuss that so um it was good to to have him on the podcast and sort of pick his brains on on what that looks like and 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 now going forward what planet super league his latest project is is going to be doing for for football and, and climate change so I think he's selling lower division nil nil draw short there, and particularly ones on rainy Tuesday nights. I mean, sometimes they're the best games of all. <laughs> Tactical battles. <laughs> um, yes, well, quite. So uh, I'm not sure. I quite. I'm not sure. I quite agree. But <laughs> <laughs> well, let's listen to to James, and uh, we'll talk to you again at the end. I was reading reading your book. It, it talks about how you're a carbon trader. So first question, just for a bit of a a layman like myself, what 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 is a carbon trader? What does a carbon trader do? So um, the European Union has got a scheme called the European Union Emission Trading Scheme, and it's a a system which aims to get heavy industrial companies and energy companies and airlines to reduce their uh, carbon emissions, their CO two emissions. And the system is quite, a, quite complicated to explain it, but one of the elements in it is that companies have what are called allowances or tradable quotas, which they can buy and sell. And in theory, as they reduce their emissions, they might end up with surplus allowances and they can sell them. Or if you're having difficulty reducing your emissions, they might even be going up. You might need to buy from the market more allowances to cover those emissions. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So it's almost it's almost like gamification of it's a it's it is a bit like gamification. And that that might be one of the problems because it's such fun trading <laughs> that it might <laughs> even distract you from the the real reason you're in there. Yeah. So for this market to work, it needs it needs traders and brokers and the whole infrastructure and all the intermediaries that any kind of financial market has. And my company kind of stumbled into emission trading 15 years ago or a bit more when it, it first was first set up in the European Union. 
and then uh, yeah, that's and that's what what the business does now. It, it um, we've got based in Budapest, got offices in in uh, three other cities in Europe, um, and uh, we've got I don't know something like fifteen hundred industrial clients, and we buy and sell these carbon allowances with them, and also help them on this journey of reducing emissions and getting to what is now called net zero. Net zero didn't exist a few years ago, but the thing now. Did you come to that, James, from financial trading or from an environmental um, perspective? Well, uh, from financial, so I, like a lot of people in the late 1980s, early 90s, I left college and went and trained as an accountant, not knowing you know, what else there was in the world, really. And um, so I did my counseling training, but I'd always been passionate about environmental things. So like a, when I was little, we were members of the, of the YOC and the RSPB. We used to go bird watching and, um, and uh, spent a lot of time at school trying to organize paper recycling, not very effectively. So I'd always had you know, that interest. And so once I'd got my qualification, um, I managed to get work in a in a waste management company and then um, eventually ended up moving to Hungary um, so my wife's Hungarian and uh, then set up the company yeah 20 years ago now, 20. so, so I, I stumbled across your your book climate change for football fans in uh, in a lovely secondhand bookshop called Barter Books. I don't know if you've heard of it in sort of north northeast England. Wonderful little bookshop. It's got like a model train set that goes around the top of the, the bookshelves and very oh, beautiful. And I, I picked it up and I thought that that looks like a, a good read. So I was sort of delving through it. But what, I suppose the question is what inspired you to 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 write it really? What was the kind of inspiration for <laughs> so, football fans? Um you know for some while I've been um, I published it in, I think, 2010, and in about 2005, I started writing a blog, basically because I was, you know, angry about lots of things, and I felt I needed to write it down and get it out of me. Um, so I wrote lots and lots of blog articles, and they were mainly about criticisms of the way governments are going about trying to tackle climate change. Um, I felt that the a bunch of problems with the approach that they were they were doing. So I thought, oh, I better write a book about this. So <laughs> I started writing a book, and then when I was reading, I thought, this is so boring. Nobody's going to read it. <laughs> um, so I thought, is there a way of making it a bit more accessible, a bit more interesting, a bit more fun? And then I I imagined a dialogue. Um, I imagined talking about it with a family in Burnley who had no interest in climate change, no time, no, no interest in sort of environmental issues, but they were passionate Burnley fans. Um, and so this, from this kind of little dialogue between you know, mad keen Burnley fans and someone who's really interested in how you save the planet, that's how I, I sort of basically rewrote the whole book in terms of these dialogues. So it's, it's kind of, it's quite funny, I suppose. It's a little bit formulaic. Um, sometimes this sort of metaphor of football and climate change is a bit forced, but you know, it's a style, certain style. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think it works. And it's, um, as you say, it does sort of, 
use the kind of vehicle of football to discuss some of those wider issues. I wondered why do you are you I mean why did you choose football specifically? Is it because you're a football fan yourself, or do you think perhaps football was the most sort of accessible way to to get the message across? Well, I'm a football fan, but I'm not you know I'm not someone who can remember you know who scored the FA Cup final winner in 1987 and that kind of thing. Um, I find it very difficult to watch a game and analyse it, but I just love watching, you know, I love watching football. And I'm a Manchester United supporter, but I have supported them since the early 70s. I think that's all right. <laughs> caveat, so it's okay. <laughs> the important caveat, the pre-Fergie caveat. <laughs> so so why, why Burnley then? Um, well, I come from not too far from Burnley. I come from South Lake District. Um, and uh, so Northern England feels, you know, more at home. And it's just a good, you know, industrial town. And it's, um, it's not a very famous team, but it's, you know, it had just, oh, I think one of the reasons, coming to think of it, was that just when I was writing, they'd got promoted to the Premier League for the first time, or the first time in a long time. And um, I think they were, struggling and uh, I uh, thought of this sort of comparison that Burnley was struggling to survive in the Premier League and at the same time human beings are sort of struggling to survive on the planet I mean we don't think we're struggling to survive but we probably are without knowing it yeah. so that was the parallel so then 10 years 10 years on you know people are more broadly, more widely talking about climate climate emergencies. So it's almost prescient in that in that respect that uh, you saw that kind of really existential struggle, you know, ten years ago, and, and the world's caught up, and that's part of the you know, kind of broad dialogue about it nowadays. So what can we do about it, I mean, and what and what role can football play in resolving that that, that struggle? Um. So, kind of. I think um, so. There's a kind of kind of philosophical answer, and there's a practical answer. So philosophically, <laughs> um, we just have to chill out a lot. So the more we chill out, and the more we spend time playing football and not being ambitious and full of ego and trying to get richer and richer, the more space we give ourselves to solve the problem. Um, because basically, it's all about you know, people wanting to be, have more and consume more and next year be bigger than last year and the year after be even bigger. And that's, we're going into this terrible spiral that's um, causing all the problems. Practically, I think football's in an interesting position. Um, when I started looking at, at this practical, from a practical point of view, I, I sort of realised football clubs are actually very small businesses. So, in our everyday business, we deal with companies that have got emissions of hundreds of thousands or even millions of tons of CO2. And if you go to a small football club, it's you know, basically a shed which people go to once every two weeks. So the actual emissions of an individual football club are very small. But the huge impact it can have is when it gets its fans to try to do something because one fo football club can influence thousands, hundreds of thousands, or even millions of people. And that's an amazing and special position. 
Um, it's a bit like film stars or pop stars, but perhaps the difference is that football loyalties are much more rooted, deeper rooted than, than mm -hmm. with other celebs. So you might support your club because your parents did and their parents did, and it's something that's really rooted in your identity. So I think that football's got a tremendous potential as a positive influencer. And perhaps in the last few years, football players certainly have become a bit more bold about speaking out on issues. You know, there's the current thing with Marcus Rashford um, and Raheem Sterling. Um, and so I think with time, I mean, Hector Bellerin of, of um, Arsenal has been quite vocal and outspoken on, on veganism and, and um, climate change, but he's not quite the, the, the everyday name that, well, Rashford or an even bigger name is. So we haven't yet got a sort of green hero footballer, but there's certainly social hero footballers now. Um, and I think that that's a tremendous potential um, for football to help address these problems. What, what do you think of um, what clubs have done so far in, in the area? Because obviously you have, you know, high profile clubs like Forest Green Rovers and everything that they've done in the, in the area. But sort of generally as a sector, has it been positive, would you say? Or has it been sort of just very laissez-faire? I, I think um, the sector's been slower than some other business sectors to be aware that you know there's things we need to do and to get on with doing stuff um but so i started sort of looking at this in more detail a couple of years ago and then i got the impression oh there's a lot that football needs to do football clubs but now when you um you know, if you go to any club the stuff that they're doing so they may be looking at and they may be buying green energy they may be introducing um vegan or plant-based options in their, in, in their canteens. Um, they might be looking at improving transport options. So I think everyone's doing something now. I get the feeling it's a little bit ad hoc. So um, it's not as if they're working to a system or a program or they've got a framework. Um, I don't think that does exist yet, but you know, there's always some enthusiastic person in any club who's trying to drive these issues and gradually they create a coalition of willing people and that starts to make change happen um yeah uh and uh yeah in the context of planet super league we've you know it's very early days for us but um we've certainly found the clubs very welcoming i think there's a lot of goodwill among the clubs to do something despite the fact that many are owned by people who you know probably would quite like to see the fossil fuel industry thrive and continue for some time. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about Planet Super League then. So this is something that's happened since you've written the book and sort of a more immediate call to action from football fans, I guess, towards climate change. Yeah. So it's, it's um, based on the idea that the biggest impact that a club can have is to get the fans to do something. And so um, we've set up this um, program called Planet Super League, where fans can take part in, in um, a whole range of actions to uh, reduce their footprint. 
And it's focused on families. So it, it, it's talking to families and families doing things together to reduce their footprint at home. And the more they do, the more points they get for their club. And so the club can go up the league, the greener their fans are. Um, we ran a pilot in the Midlands of England um, last year in November, December. We had 11 clubs taking part with four from the Premier League. Um, and the tournament was won by Leicester City, who are receiving a nice silver trophy, which we found online. And it turned out it was made in the same year as the Football League was started in 1888. So that's a nice, oh, wow. nice little touch. I mean, we're going to get it back when we award it to the next one. It's not like everyone gets their own trophy. So now we're going to launch a new, a new one, PSL2, in, um, in the end of March. And we want to get um, 20 clubs signed up for this one. Um, hopefully have about 2,000 families take part. And uh, early days, but we're just working on plans for an event around the, the COP, the Climate Summit, to be held in, in Glasgow in November. Um, so if possible, we'd love to get some Scottish clubs involved in that and Scottish families um, involved in finding ways to cut their emissions. And, and it's all... It's all designed to be kind of fun and relevant and fit into people's lives. It's not sort of preachy or um, one of the people said to us, oh, the reason why we like you is you're not like Greta, meaning <laughs> that, you know, we're not there to make feel, people feel bad about their lives. We're, we're there to try and come up with fun things which have a good environmental impact. I think all, all, all that full range of messaging all has its place and all can work together towards it. So something that's quite serious, it's like quite sobering in terms of Greta's messages and all the, all the, the, the wonderful stuff that's going on under that to raise that on that part of the agenda. But something that's just basically fun that appeals to what people love about football as well. I think that's a that's a, a great way of, of of adding something to the agenda that's maybe not there at the moment. Um, so I think, yeah, there's loads of different kinds of people, right? And different people respond to different kinds of motivations and messages. What, what we try and do is we, so, you know, one example is, is um, and it's fairly low impact thing, but it's changing your light bulbs, making sure that you've got LED bulbs. So we footballize that and call it family floodlights. And so you've got a okay. challenge to replace five of your lights with, with LEDs. And then you send in a, picture to verify that you've done it um, and then uh, you get your points for doing that but the stuff around food so trying to shift towards eating more plant-based stuff less meat um, the stuff around getting out and about so it's, it's been a bit impacted by covid but um, trying to shift local journeys to foot or bike got a bike rather than driving um, and there's a lot about just getting out into nature so kids can, particularly aimed at younger children, so they can um, get into woods and explore nature and discover bugs and beetles and leaves and twigs and all that kind of stuff. Because there's a strong view that if you, if you give kids a chance to be exposed to the natural world when they're little, then when they grow up later, they'll be more sensitive to environmental things. Yeah, absolutely. So if 
so one of the things I think the, the book, sorry, going back to the book quickly, is does very well is that it it tries to make a lot of these quite complex issues very relatable for people. And I remember your, your character, Frank, is kind of uh, sort of a bit of a knucklehead, part of the part, but, you know, he's not really interested in a lot of these issues. But the professor explains it to her. And I wonder if there was kind of what you thought some of the key things football fans easy easy things football fans could do tangible things that they could do to start having an impact straight away so the easiest biggest impact thing is about what you eat what you have for your supper what you have for your lunch um so um unfortunately because it's delicious but meat and dairy you know are responsible for you know not just for about you know 15 percent of of your carbon footprint um but they're also responsible for you know 99 percent of the deforestation in brazil is because people in the west are eating a lot of meat um and lots of the other deforestation elsewhere is down to the meat industry so so um if you can do one thing, it's cut down on meat and dairy. And the, the sad thing is that cheese is almost as bad as meat. So you think, oh, I'm going vegetarian, I'm all right, I'm doing my bit. But you look at the footprint of a slab of cheese and it's not that far off a slab of meat. Um, so um, luckily, no, actually, if you, if you look about a bit, there's loads of plant-based food that's absolutely delicious how you cook it how you spice it up yeah and you just get into a habit you just get used to what you're eating and then and then it becomes the norm yeah yeah absolutely um so if there is either a fan listening to this or a club that is listening to this particularly a scottish club that were interested in finding out a bit more about planet super league and, and potentially interested in getting involved later in the year how could they go about reaching out and getting in touch got a really simple email it's james at psl.football. I will, um, dot football, was it, sorry? Yeah. Fantastic. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will make sure that we include a link to that in the, uh, the programme notes so uh, people just, uh, can get in touch. Cool. Well, thank you so much for chatting to us, James. I've, I've really enjoyed that. That's been, that's been oh. great. And uh, I really look forward to seeing how Planet Super League uh, comes about. Thanks so much indeed, Andrew. It's great. That's uh, a great interview. That's um, it's a nice return to the behind the goals scene for us and to get back in with a really uh, kind of lovely conversation with a, a really interesting guy there. What did you take away from that, Andrew? Uh, I took away that you can have the dot football domain, which is an interesting email address. I don't know if you missed, you might have missed that bit. Um, yeah, I had to duck out uh, five, ten minutes before the end there, so I did miss that one. So I'm fasc fascinating, that, yeah, fascinating email address, james at plc.football. Uh, nice. I mean, that wasn't the only thing I took away, but that was just one, one of many things I took away from it. Yeah. What did you, what, um, what were your thoughts? Um, I really, I really thought that he had a, a, a very nice take on how to make what can be quite a dry subject into something that, that's, that's fun for, for everybody of all ages to engage with. That whole idea of, of engaging with families to, to make environmental activism a game and make it fun. Uh, 
is, was, a, was a really nice one. And I'm really looking forward to Planet Super League coming to Scotland. Um, I think that's going to be a, a really nice way to, to engage people in you know, a major kind of event in the world. These conferences are absolutely massive events. Um, I know that before it got uh, uh, postponed because of, of COVID, um, it was it was going to be the biggest event, uh, biggest public event in Scotland in, in 2020 uh, in terms of policing, in terms of facilities, in terms of um, you know visitors to Scotland. Um, so hopefully, having delayed that to November 2021, uh, they'll get a similar you know big event and uh, bringing a lot of people to Scotland to talk about something that's really critical. And I think if we can engage families within that through Planet Super League, I think that's uh, that can only be a good thing. Yeah, I think what I really like about the idea is the, the very tangible way that football can have an impact. And I really, I suppose, what I, what I actually literally did note down was the biggest impact a club can have is to call its fans to action. And I guess, I guess that's true, really. I mean, obviously professional teams jetting all over the country or, or you know, particularly in England, perhaps less so elsewhere. But, um, you know, huge carbon footprint in that sense. But actually, relatively fairly small so actually engaging your fan base and using your your power and your value within their lives as a, as a way to encourage people to even just take a few minor steps um, can have a big impact if, if everybody does start somewhere and starts really thinking about it um, then you know small change from a lot of people creates a big change yeah this this idea of football clubs being small businesses I mean, even if you look at the biggest football clubs in the world and compare them to multinational corporations. They're absolutely minuscule, but they command people's hearts and minds. Um, and if we can actually command people's hands and feet to do something positive in the world, that's something that very few industries, brands, I always kind of cringe when I when I hear football called football clubs called brands. But that is the power of a brand is to is to command is to is to call people to action to, to actually do something that's bigger than themselves. Uh, and I think that's a that's a huge uh, potential from football um so i think it's a really just a really really neat idea um and it seems to be something that can, can work just from these early experiments that, that planet super league have done through that, that first one to, to encourage what was it 2000 families to, to get involved and to and to do something that they maybe wouldn't have taken an active interest in or, or wouldn't been able to to, to to feel like they were able to have an impact on before Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and we'll include the we'll include the link in the program notes so people can can find out more and, and stay in touch and, and see how things progress. Um yeah. what what else has been happening? What what supports Direct Scotland been up to, Alan? Uh, one of the things that we've obviously been battling with the pandemic, as everybody else has, and it's changed us as, a, as an organization, changed the activity that we can do. Um but you're continually trying to look for sort of nice, bright, positive ideas to, to engage people with. Um, one that we came up with uh, about a week ago, uh, I was listening to a podcast that was talking about a civic research project across an island called Ireland Utopia. Um, and I decided to like the best ideas, steal them with pride. <laughs> um, so I, I set up a hashtag Scottish football utopia. Uh, and, a, and the idea is it's a, a single, single question survey. And you just ask people to imagine what the ideal version of Scottish football would be like. And they can talk about absolutely anything. They can back it up with facts, figures, justify actions, or just you know paint a picture of what they want Scottish football to look like. So we put that, that, that live just last weekend, just to see what people would say. Uh, and I think that's something we'll, we'll keep on coming back to. We've already had a very good response to that. A lot of people sharing their ideas. 
uh, and also wanted to be contacted uh, to, to take that further. So hopefully that will give us some, some new fresh ideas that people really feel passionately about uh, and give us a bit of a magnet to draw positive change forward. Uh, I think over the last year, uh, we found that Scottish football is sometimes quite an angry and bitter place. If you think of the, um, the the heated debates and the high court battles and the arguments and the quarrels and the, the accusations that were flung around last summer about calling an early end to the season and then deciding what to do next about it, actually a much better place to start would be uh, some, some positive aspirations for the future and then use that to frame how we respond to difficult ideas going forward so if we can continue to get some really good responses that's hashtag Scottish Football Utopia uh, and we'll put that on the front page of, uh, of the Supporters Direct Scotland website encourage lots of people as many people to, to engage with that as possible we can't promise that we'll get back to everybody in person and respond to their their visions of the future but uh, we'll, we'll take all that together and we'll we'll bring that into any conversations we're having with, uh, with, with other stakeholders in the game to try and um, try and bring people together into to a sense of what might be possible rather than doing what we often do in Scottish football is arguing or complaining about what's wrong with the way things have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds like a, a really nice idea. Have you had a good response so far? Yeah, um, it's not in hundreds of responses yet, um, but we put it out very, very, you know, just kind of, it was on. It was it was on the spur of the moment. I was listening to the podcast one evening, uh, and then on I think it was a Friday evening, and then the Saturday morning, I decided just to to just stick the hashtag out there and see what happened. Uh, so it was done pretty much on a whim. It's not a coordinated media campaign or anything like that, uh, which is often the nicest way to get these things out there. Just put them out there, see how people respond, and it will grow organically. So encourage people to fill in that survey uh, and share it with others and tell, tell other people about it. Uh, just use that hashtag to kind of share your aspirations. And we'll probably follow that up with some um, some stories as well. You know, as we're talking to people, we'll ask them to write their, their utopian vision, and we'll put that out there and see what people think of it. Wonderful. Okay, well, I look forward to seeing some of the uh, responses to that. That'll be a positive thing to, to track in the future. Yeah. Um, what, what, are, what, what about got... for you? Sorry? What about for you? How things been going for you? What have you been up to recently? Uh... <laughs> Nothing <laughs> much. <laughs> have you finished that PhD yet? I haven't. <laughs> okay, best, best not, not say any more about that until you actually... <laughs> Get your get your pen out and write it. <laughs> yes, I've I've got I've got not long left, shall we say, to uh, to finish it. So uh, I, I am TikTok, I am TikTok. yeah, that uh, feels like that anyway. Um, got uh, a few months left, so that will be my main focus for the next little wee while. But uh, uh, I'll, I'll occasionally put my head up for air and see how everything else is going. Very good. Very good. And uh, we'll be back. With, well, we're hoping to get behind the goals going again, like we did, you know, when we had a rich vein of form. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you have ideas about who we could interview, you know, books that you've read, you want us to, to kind of follow up on, um, send ideas our way. Uh, we're always happy to hear from from our listeners. Uh, we'll creep up, keep on creating content, both on the the Club Development Scotland series and on the Behind the Goals series, as we as we try and get the podcast back into life after that uh, that period of of hiatus yeah absolutely well until then what's your line um it's enjoy been... your football no no that's the that's the terrace podcast what was my line again have a winning week have a winning week <laughs> it's been so long <laughs> i know <laughs> have a winning year <laughs>
<laughs> yes, have a winning year. Okay. Cheers, guys. Okay. See you later. See ya. If you're a fan of the podcast and the other work SD Scotland does, how about signing up as a member on our Patreon page? A few pounds every month will help us to continue offering advice and helping supporters, clubs and communities across Scotland.